Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Well, good morning, church. Now, I'm not going to say it's because of your response, but do we have some tired people here? Who's been tired? I know I'm a tired person. Uh, We've hit the season of our life when you've added another child. So you have three kids and you're outnumbered. So at any moment, one of them is having a problem. One of them is sick. One of them is injured. And so you're just... there is not a lot of margin anymore left in your life. And one of the things that is lost, and seems like it's not coming back anytime for us, is sleep. So it means you're tired, right? I saw this video pop up of some entrepreneur guy, and he was like, man, I live off of uh, four or five hours of sleep a night. I get up at 4.30, I do my guided meditation, and I do two-hour workout with my wife, and then I do a thing. I'm just like, What? So I got to do four or five hours of sleep. I'm alive, I'm living, but I'm also losing my mind, right? Actively, you know, you're, you're going crazy. But one of, the, one of the things that happens in that is that one of those first areas that I begin to lose a battle over is my words. Is that when I'm tired, when at the end of, of, of a day or at the beginning of a day, and you're just trying to get going, you're just trying to make it through, there's all sorts of things pulling at you, you might be like me where there are different areas of your life that you begin to be a little bit more likely to stumble in. And for me, my my words, thinking about what I'm saying or how I'm saying something is often something to fall, fall short in. And we might think that, you know, it's, Everyone makes mistakes. But I think this morning, as we continue the sermon series in Proverbs and and look at all the different areas that God has laid before us, that he says, this is the way I, I desire you to live. This is the way that I've designed the world to work. It's not a promise, as Pastor Kenny pointed out, but that this way is impossible for us to live out. But the good news is, that even in the midst of our tiredness, in the midst of being pulled a hundred directions on our own, we're sure to fail. But if you are in Christ and been made a new creation and have his spirit living in you, you now have a chance because God's spirit can give us this power to live out these truths we're gonna look at this morning. And so if you want to turn, we're in chapter 10 of Proverbs, and we're going to read verses 18 through 21 and walk through what God would have for us this morning. So starting in verse 18, it says this, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This is God's word. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, as we dig into this passage in Proverbs that you have given to your people for thousands of years, Would you make it new and fresh for us 
the core truths that have been sitting here that, that Christians before us have chewed on and applied into their life? Would you, would you give us that privilege through your spirit this morning and anything, anything that I've laid atop this passage that's from me and not from you, would you wipe that away and make it clear what you would have for each one of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So this proverb opens up with, I think, a really interesting beginning. Because it says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. And I think when I, when I first look at that, not for a long time, but at least for a second I, I look at that, so the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Is it saying we're supposed to tell people we hate them? Is that what it's saying? Because you say, I don't want to hide it. And that's lying. And we might think, well, that's crazy. But how often do we, do, do we take some of our words and actions and go, hey, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the reality that's going on. Because what it's saying is not just that concealing hatred is lying, but it also says whoever utters slander is a fool. And so we have to have the context of the entire proverb for us because this verse 18 is echoing back to verse 12. And it has these two key words that he's repeating, which is to cover, to conceal, and hatred. And in this proverb, he is pulling out, pulling out hatred and pulling it out and saying, this hatred has bad fruits to it. And we're, and we're stuck here because what he says is you cannot win with hatred. He's not saying that, uh, well, you know what, you, can just, you, you just have to be truthful to your hatred. Because he's saying slander is when you let hate out. When you let your true feelings come out and you slander someone. Hatred is, 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 or slander is hatred being revealed. But then we might go, to the old kind of saying, you know, hey, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And we go, all right, well, I don't like that person. I think that they're wrong. I think that they're terrible. Well, I'm not going to slander them. I just won't say anything at all. But then right here, he tells us, sorry, that's lying. You're lying to yourself or to them by not telling the real truth. But then if you say the real thing, but now you slandered. So then what are we supposed to do with that? We're... We can't not talk, and we can't talk about it. But that's the point that we're supposed to see here in hatred, is because he's saying, your heart has to change. Because what we see here is that your heart directs your words. Your heart is what gives you direction in what you say and how you say those words. And so, I know that if you are like me and you hear this idea that your heart in this hatred in you is what is coming out of your mouth, maybe you thought of the same verse as I did. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37, let me read it for us. Jesus is talking here and he says to the Pharisees, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil, the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So I tell you on the day of judgment, 
people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is giving strong words to the Pharisees about their words. And we, we, we might want to just take that and say, well, you know what, he's talking about that specific thing there, but he is heightening our importance to what we say. He is saying that the words, every careless word that they speak, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. You need to give an account for those words that you have said. Because he's telling that a good tree gives good fruit, a bad tree gives bad fruit, a good person has good treasure. And this this, this basic idea that I know many of us have heard before, but is the place we have to start. Because if we are just trying to say nicer things or, or not talk as much, and we have not worked on our heart, we may good, do good for a moment by, by, by hiding those realities in us, but already we know that that's lying. So we, we can neither lie nor slander. So what do we have to do? We have to come before the cross of Christ, lay down before him, and then ask to be made new. And then when we have been made new, when we've been made a new creation, born again in Christ, now we have the opportunity as we come before him continually in repentance to say, I still need this piece taken out. I still, I, I've been holding on to this part in my life or this, this part of my flesh and I need to keep giving it over to you because I know that if there's things happening out here or if I'm talking a certain way over here, it is not just the talking that's the problem. It's my heart. My heart still needs to keep being reformed and changed. And we, we can see this idea that, that our heart is important is what guides us all over the place in every one of our relationships. Uh, this, this Thursday, I had the, the blessing of performing a marriage. Uh, and it was a couple that we've done uh, premarital counseling for a while. And, and I love it. I love being involved in that day. I forgot that the wedding was in uh, Temecula. And I forgot that that is so far away. Um, I, in my mind, I don't know if I just reverted back to like when I first moved here and just thinking things are close by. And I was like, I know that name. And so they said, yeah, it's out there. And I was like, great. And then this week started and I was like, all right, well, I just put it in my phone. And I was like, what is an hour and a half? Where am I going? And then I was like, oh, okay. That, it's a little further than I thought. But I said, hey, it's worth it. It's a blessing. I, I love these, this couple. I've got to meet with them. And one of the things that we talk so much about is how, how you communicate between each other. How are you talking to one another? Because how you are talking to one another reveals where your heart is at. And often if it's, if it's stuck in a selfish cycle or if you, you can't imagine what's going on with the other person. And one of the examples that I give is um, from a movie that has a lot of other things in it, but there's this one scene that is this couple's together, and, and, and the, the woman walks in, and she says, hey, I, I need you to help do the dishes, and then he's sitting on the couch, and he's just hey, playing like a game, and he's going, all right, just a second, yeah, I know you wanted to do that, I'm going to just finish this up, I just need a, a break right now, and she said, no, we've been waiting the whole day, like, I, I, I'm ready to go get ready for bed, I need you to help me do the dishes right now, and he's like, just give me a sec, I just need to relax, I've had a hard day, and then she says, 
I need, I need you to help me do this. And then he goes, Psh, I throw up. all right, all right, fine. I'll do it right now. You want me to do it right now? Let's go do the dishes. And then she says, never mind. You know what? I don't want you to do. And he says, that's what you asked me to do is to do that. Now I'm going to do that. And, she's like, and he says, no, I, what I wanted is for you to want to do the dishes. And he looks at her and he goes, why would I want to do the dishes? Who wants to do the dishes? And they, they continue this argument that as it watches, if you've ever been in a relationship or had one, it gets less funny by the moment because you begin to see what that is. And from afar, we can go, yeah, I get it. Who wants to do the dishes? Maybe some crazy people, they love chores and they love things. I actually really do love doing the dishes because it's like something's dirty, it's clean, bam, you finished it. But, uh, but, but, but he's going, why, why would I want to do that? And, and you and I can get into that same place where we go, hey, I'm, I'm being nice to that person. I'm not saying what I really think about them. Why, why would I want to love them? Do you know what they're like? Do you know what they, why would I want that? And that's where the wife looks at and says, no, you're, you're missing it because it's not, I'm asking you to want to do the dishes. I'm asking you to want to love me, to see me. And that's what God is looking at us when we are straight with our words and we think it's okay that I'm just covering up my true feelings about someone else. And we say, that, that's okay. God's looking. He says, no, I don't, I just don't want you to, I want you to want to love them. Because this is my, my desire. If you say you love me, if you say that you are following God, then then our affections need to change. And if you're struggling in this moment, you go, but, but here's this thing. I say, you're, in the, you're in, a, in the right spot. You're in the right place right now because this is the place we come to to ask for our heart to keep being, but we have to keep asking. We can't just be okay with going, yeah, this is the way I feel about all of these people and it's just, that's just the way it is. You don't understand how I'm wired up. You know, I, I'm a little bit more like this. I'm, 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 I'm very, uh, I, I used to think, I would say, I'm very discerning, right? That's like a really Christian way of saying, I'm judgmental. <laughs> I'm mean. Say, I'm really discerning. This is not to say that there are appropriate places to be loving people in ways that are they're calling them to, to, to Christ and to grow. But I would say more often than not, we see in our heart that God looks at us and he says, I want you to have this good fruit and the good fruit of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think of it one more way before we move on to the next point is that I've always had this thought that if, you have, if, if all of the barriers that I might have mentally to, to, to filter what I say sometimes, if those were gone, what comes out? I know that many of us in this room have been in contact or, or watched like the sadness of all sorts of uh, degenerative uh, diseases like Alzheimer's and things like that. And this is not like the case that, that this is what it means, but I, it's always been the back of my mind that I think if I lost so many of my abilities to like filter what is here before it comes out here and that's gone, what's pouring out? And again, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but I know that many of us have been around people that go, hey, they've, they've lost all this other stuff, but they just, the sweetness is coming out of them. 
And then you've had, when you've been with people that have lost filters and things, and it's difficult to be around them. Now, I don't know if it's a one-to-one that they didn't, that, that, that's where their heart was really at. I don't know. But my question is always, what, where is my heart? Because I might be good at, at pretending that I'm loving or pretending that I'm forgiving. But scripture tells us, that's lying. You're still lying. You're lying to those people and ultimately you're lying to God and he's looking at you saying, I don't want you to just pretend to do the dishes. I want you to want this because it's what I want. Our words matter and so we keep reading here and he says, how much more can we be told in these Proverbs how important what it is that we say? And he says here in verses 19 and 20, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. We see here that our words, if we let them go, if we let them fly, if we're not thinking that they matter, our words can be dangerous. They have power in them. Again, if we look forward into the New Testament, thinking about how dangerous our words can be, maybe what you think of as well is in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, the entirety is directing us to how difficult the tongue is to contain. Verses five through six say this, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I don't think you can get much stronger language to tell us that what we say matters and it's dangerous. When it says that our our tongue, not only is it difficult to tame, but it is set on fire and it will set fires and it is set on fire by hell. We need to understand that when he tells us, when our words are many, transgression is not lacking, he's saying that, hey, the more that you speak, the more time that you you are talking, the more bound you are to say something wrong. Now maybe the way to think about this that that I think of uh, two ways. One, I know many of us have been around little children, right? Who's ever been around like a two to five year old and they have some interest and they will not stop talking about it? And, 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 And at first you're really pumped about it you're, you're into it, and then after like what feels like the fifth hour talking about Pokemon or whatever, like the thing that they found, the rocks outside, this flower, the sky, and not even just questions, right? They're just, ta- they're just talking. You know, if you haven't experienced it, it's the picture when you're at the grocery store and you see like a parent that looks like they're just like a zombie, and then there's a small person behind them going, that, that's it. And you think to yourself, probably going, that's a terrible parent. I can't believe them. That child is so beautiful. And I would say, it is for five minutes. And then at some point you go, I don't, I don't know what's happening. I, my brain, I, I can't even keep up with what's happening. And we hear that and we can go, hey, you know, it's a child and they're learning and their brain is like growing and it's, it's important for them to be excited and to learn how to talk and to talk through all this. It's great. But then there's something that happens to us that, that we think, maybe in an argument sometimes, I, if I just talk a little bit more right now, if I just explain a little bit better, you will fully understand my point of view. Now, when you have done that in, a, in an argument, have you ever 
Has that ended really well for you? You say, okay, I know you said to stop talking right now, but what if I talk to you for five more minutes to explain better my point of view? You say, I'm going to dig myself out of this, right? No. What happens? You dig, the phrase goes what? You dig yourself a deeper grave. And now, if you're not married or you have never talked to a human being before, maybe you've never experienced that, uh, or, or you're just an excellent person already in conflict, and I'm proud of you. Good job. But for a lot of us, there is something that happens in our mind that that's the natural mode, our, our natural switch that gets flipped when we feel like there's something happening. We have something to say. We go straight into five-year-old mode, and we go, okay, let me tell you everything that I know about this situation today that happened, and let me tell you everything that I did, and let me explain every point of what's happening, and you go, wait, this is not going to help me at all. And that's where the second part of the verse comes in saying, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent to listen. And there are so many quotes and verses that point us to this truth, which is to be quiet, to pause, to just listen. Proverbs, uh, in, in Proverbs 17, says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He's deemed intelligent. That, that phrase has been you know, translated and made new for generations and generations. So many people have like been attributed to it, but it's like, it goes like this. At times, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people wonder if you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. I mean, that's from the Proverbs. I mean, he's saying just restraint. The word that it's using in there, restraint, is this picture that a, they would put a piece of wood in the mouth of a goat to stop it from, from, from sucking on something or eating something. So the only way that they could stop it. The goat is not listening. The goat is just doing what it thinks it has to do. And to make it stop, they have a piece of wood. And that is the restraint to withhold that the Arabic term is based in that. And so maybe that's the mental image that some of us need throughout the day. In the middle of that conversation you've had five times before. And maybe it's, you, you, you just need to listen. Maybe not respond. That you mentally take out, or maybe physically take out a stick, I don't know, and put it in your mouth. And they'll think, why are you eating ginger or something? What's happening? And you go, oh, it's just, I'm listening. And you probably, they're not going to talk to you anymore because they think you're crazy. So that's why you have to do it in your head. But it, it can be hard. Some of us, it's easy. Some of us are, are great listeners. But I think a lot of us, especially when it's in those moments where we need that wisdom, we miss it because it's so difficult. We want to defend ourselves. We want to be able to, to show that, where we're thinking. But what happens is the more that we talk, the more option is, I didn't mean to say it that way. Or, I, I, no, I really didn't mean that. And you go, well, why did you say it then? And you go, because I'm a fool. Fools, we say stuff, we keep talking. I mean, there's, again, there's so many that can just direct us throughout time. Is it King the, uh, Demeritus being asked in company whether he was silent through folly or wisdom? He answered, a fool cannot be silent. Calvin Coolidge said this, he said, I have never been hurt by anything I didn't say. And again, it directs us back to the heart. 
So how can I do that? How can we live in that? And you continue in James chapter three, and he says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or the grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's saying, if you are struggling with this, if you keep saying things that you go, I didn't mean it that way, or I just can't, I have to say this. He's saying, he says, check your heart. Go back to your heart and you need to look at it to say, am I truly... Am I truly hearing God's heart through this to listen and to know? It doesn't mean that there's weakness in, in, in waiting, that there's weakness in silence. It's often more strength to have, to be able to not respond in the moment, but to really try to hear someone, to say fewer words. And I know that you, you've experienced this as well, but just maybe just one word less sometimes. And I'm, I'm really, really, really Sorry. But if you were just here, then what happened? It's gone. I'm, re- I'm really, really sorry. But you've got to understand my point of view. Just, if we just listen with fewer words. So then our question is, if we see the power of our words, if we know that they are dangerous, if we know that our heart needs to change, what is it supposed to look like? What is our goal with words? Why are words both so dangerous, yet so powerful and important? We see that in verse 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This right here, this is a proverb pair. They're paralleling each other to, to drive home this point of the value of righteous speech and that wicked speech and evil talk and, and, and talking in all the ways of spite and, and, and anger, all of those ways do not bring about the fruit that we want. And that fruit is that we would be building others up. Righteous words, words of righteous people build others up. Because it says the lips of the righteous feed many. It's pointing towards terms that talk about to, to feed and to shepherd. The idea of the shepherd going and taking care of his flock. Just for context, if we go to the New Testament, I think of Ephesians 4, where Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear that it may give grace to those who hear, that we're using our words to build up and to nourish those around us. Which does mean we're helping them grow. It does mean that we care about, about things that they are going through and maybe mistakes that they are making. But the context in the layer over all of it is that we, in every moment, are saying, what, how is this to build one up? How is this to care for them? How is this to love them? How am I saying this that's showing somebody how deeply that I love and care for them? Because if we go back, you can think of saying the right thing, but to somebody that you haven't worked on your heart on, and you say the same thing, but the way that you say it tears them down. 
it hits them because you, you, you want to. You know that you're right. What that means is you have not worked on your heart to realize what you have been forgiven of means that we forgive all others because the extent that my father has brought me near to him through the sacrifice of Christ means that there is, there is nothing between me and another person that I cannot put before the cross. And if I'm struggling, that I have to keep my true feelings about someone, it means that I'm lying. It means I need to confess that. It means that reconciling with those people in your life that you look to God and you say, why would I want to be with them? Why would I want to treat them that way and encourage them like that? Why would I want to do that? And God goes, it's not about you wanting to do that. I, I want you to want me, God. That if that is our core, if that is where our heart is directed towards, then all of these prescriptions, all of these ideas about words and talk become far easier. They don't become simple and and easy, but they become so much more easier and actually possible. Because outside of the gospel, these, these bars are so impossibly high. But I want us to just think about encouragement for one for one moment. And, And encouragement compliments to people because I think sometimes we really do get this mindset out of the sake of loving people that we, we want to make sure that, that these, these, these issues are taken care of. And it's not to say that constructive criticism doesn't have a place. It does. Most, a lot of scripture is constructively criticizing us. I mean, this passage, we're constructively criticizing our hearts. But there was a, there was a show uh, that my wife and I watched that was based around kind of doing these pseudo experiments on a group of 100 people. And one of those experiments was about encouragement and discouragement. And what they did was they brought in a juggler, uh, a professional juggler, to come in to juggle for all of the people that were in this experiment and kind of show them some tips. And then they were then to go out and then show their, their skills. But the trick was is that he was going to judge them, but at the counter there was a bowl in front of him and he would, before each person came out, take a random card and the card either said to discourage them or encourage them. No matter about their performance or how well they did or how poorly they did, he had to just do whatever that card said. And so what happened was people would come onto the stage and they would do fairly well. They, I mean, like they, he, they did it and they like kind of showed they were very happy. They tried to engage with what was happening and they did a good job juggling. And then he would pull the card and it would say discourage. And so what he would do is he'd say, hey, you have a lot of work to go. I mean, it, you're really like, if you want to be able to do this well, if we got to do this and this, and you really got to consider these things, some of it might have been truthful. But it was under this guise of saying, I've, I've got to say that you've got to hear this. But then someone else would come up and they would be horrendous. I mean, just not coordinated. But just They go up there, they drop everything, and you go, this person needs to know they should not juggle ever again. And he pulls the card and the card says, encourage. So then he has to sit there and he goes, you know what? Like, I can see your heart in it. Like, you... I mean, you, could, you could do it, like your energy up there. You know, he says all of this stuff to, to encourage him. Say, hey, just try again. Keep, I know you dropped it a bunch of times, but like, go again. I think that you could really do this. And so they go away for a few hours and they're supposed to practice and then they go up again. And the, the crazy thing that happened is that almost all of the people, the people that did terribly, but they got this encouragement, undeserved encouragement, 
they got better. They didn't go out and they were, you know, amazing. They, they, you know, they, but they, they got better. They did. They went out the next time and they did better. But then the people that got just the discouragement, even if they went out and they did like a great job, they would go back out and then they would like not try. They would go back out and they would be so nervous because they were like, I thought I, I really tried that first time and he, he said I did really, really bad. So they're so nervous they, they perform terribly. And the idea underneath this is that there's so many elements that are not real, that, that are inside this weird little fake experiment. But I think one of the biggest things in there is just like your words are so powerful. Your words are so powerful. And like Christ said, I mean, even our idle words, God is holding on to those. And he's not holding it over our head to make you feel like, I can't believe you said that in that argument, to make you understand, saying, this matters. Your words matter. And it sometimes means for many of us, we have to make amends and apologize for those things. But if we end there and we don't go back and say, God, where is my heart? Where is this coming from? Because it's not just coming from nowhere. After first service, someone walked up to me and said uh, that they had just read a story recently in the last week or so about compliments and that what, what it showed was that they did this kind of experiment where people were going out and just giving like random compliments to people. And their fears were, one, like I'm going to give a compliment to this person, it's going to go really poorly, uh, like they're going to be like offended to me or something, or I'm going to try to give a compliment, they're like not going to accept it, uh, or like it's just not going to matter that I'm going to give them a compliment. But what they found is that like none of those fears happened. Now they did have where it was like, like men were complimenting men and women were complimenting women. Because I feel like that's a little element that you know, men are just going out giving compliments to women. It might not always go well. But the picture that they were giving was that each time that that happened, that person like felt good about it. Like from a random person, giving them a compliment about something. And what they found was not only did it make them like feel better and they like, oh, I'm going to have a great day now. That then the person giving the compliment, because it was received well, then they feel better. And they go, wow, I, like that, that feels good to tell someone a, a good thing about themselves. And, and what, what they began to see is that the power, no one even believed that they had it. They were so afraid of talking to people that it would go badly that they couldn't even imagine just trying to give somebody a compliment like that. And you might be different and you say, well, I don't receive compliments this way and that and what, whatever and whatnot. Don't, don't let yourself just run away and excuse this for the fact that God is telling us. He's saying, no, your words are important. They are so powerful. And they matter. And you can change somebody's day, not including changing the direction of, of a week, of a month, of continually doing that. And this is what I want us to think about in this way. You might be surprised, but that if someone has gone to jail for being discouraging. Now, some of you guys went, yeah, obviously. It was my sister when she was 11. She used to be, yeah, I sent her to jail. No, it, it's a real story that during the Boer War in the siege of Ladysmith, the fortunes of this town were, were hinged upon this like, battle. 
There, there was, everything was on the line, and, and it, was, it was a very, very small margin for error in this. And then there was one, one of the people that wasn't a part of the, the military, one of the civilians, was going along the lines there and was just saying discouraging words to everybody. Hey, you're not going to do well. Hey, there's no way that they're going to win. What are you even doing out here? Like, it, it, it's, there's no way. Just quit. Just give up. He didn't hit anybody for the enemy. He didn't attack anyone. He didn't do anything. He was just discouraging them. And it was at that critical time that they ended up arresting, court-martialing them, and they judged it a crime to speak disheartening words in an hour such as that. They judged that it was so serious that it could have done so much harm just to say disheartening words at a time like that because the battle was so crucial. So as we think about the importance of our words, I would say this. You have no idea, more often than not, the battle that someone is going on. Because the fact is, is we are all in a battle. And our battle is not against flesh and blood, but is about the powers and principalities and spiritual forces of this world that want to attack us and discourage us and make us not take the next step to share the gospel with our world that we look out and we think we see it as so dark and impossible that we, we can't imagine doing anything else. And maybe in your life you are discouraged because this relationship has been broken or this friendship is ending or maybe the, you can't stop this area. You feel like you just aren't growing fast enough. Whatever that might be, each one of us is in a battle And at a time such as this, think about what our encouragement can do to one another. To look at one another and to tell and to tell them what you see. Man, it's so it is it it actually is so good to see you here. I know that we get uncomfortable when Pastor Nathan says, Hey, everyone has to say hi, and you go, No, I don't want to talk to random people. I'm going to just talk to my, my spouse or my, my friend that here. I don't want to talk to everyone. And I, I get that. I get that we are all so different. But at the same time, you need to consider that God has placed you in a community and in people. And we want to know one another to encourage one another. And so your question is, the fool dies It's unclear what it's trying to say, but I think the fool is that it's bringing about death. The fool is bringing life into this world. The fool is ruining lives of others by their lack of discipline, by their inability to hold their tongue, by their misunderstanding that their heart is so important. And the righteous are looking to change people through their words, through the tool that God has given us to love one another and to care for one another. And so this morning, as we end we'll have one more difficult time. After, after I say our benediction together, I would like us, instead of waiting for the rest of this week to try to apply and do homework, to turn to someone next to you and to say an encouragement. Now, if you know something about them to encourage them, that's even better. And if you don't, maybe learn for a second, maybe just say anything that you could encourage that you can think of. But to say something encouraging, those random people on the street saying just compliments, they didn't know anything about. You at least know like, that you guys are all part of here. 
You know that you have the bond of trying to draw around the cross of Christ. And so I'd ask you to look, and you might find out that there is something really great to encourage in your neighbor and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's someone's birthday right now that's here. I won't say who that is. But say something that you see in them and don't leave this room and think this is where it ends. Because as you leave here, the opportunity that we have, the opportunity that we get to have to bring about nourishing and healing words of Jesus Christ is so good. And as we allow ourselves to be healed in the gospel, allow our hearts to be healed, we begin to get the opportunity to pour out and nourish other people's lives. So as a benediction, I'm going to read the rest of Ephesians 4, verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. It may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Please bow your heads with me. Father, this morning, I pray that you would work upon our hearts and our words. Know that each one of us needs that help in different ways, whether that be in our family or, or at work or with uh, spouses or relatives, children, to look at our words as opportunities to give life, to grow, and to, and to take assessments in ourselves. As this morning, we know that they are powerful. We know that our words can catch us and take us away. And so we pray this week and today that we would be encouragers of others in Christ and nourishing those in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.